Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by my sidekick, Matthew Carson. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had, to, I had to do it, Matthew. I wondered if you'd forget. Should we explain the context there? Yeah, go for it. So uh, Matthew, uh, my comedy Dave, if you will, um, <laughs> to, to my Chris Moyles, basically someone, I, th- I think it might have been a reference to something else, but um, a listener wrote in and said that I, pre- I pronounced Sui Koden wrong on the uh, <laughs> What We've Been Playing episode uh, a few few weeks ago. Um, it's Suikoden, apparently. Um, that's what Matthew said, wow. and I was wrong. Um, Who knows? But there's been, some debate, there's been some debate about this. But in the email, I think it alluded to you being my sidekick i think it might have been a pop culture reference they made but they said something about tell your sidekick it's suikoden or whatever mm. and then you took that to mean that you are my sidekick how are you feeling about about that matthew i guess it sort of makes sense in that you do introduce the podcast and you, you sort of host it though we are co-hosts um <laughs> i like that the person who wrote the email directed it to you as if they knew that you'd be reading the email i hope that doesn't because I I, you know, I come across as like disinterested in the admin. That's not true at all. Um, <laughs> I just I don't think I have access to the inbox. Uh, I think you have I think you have the uh, the password. I think I gave it to you when I set it up, but you probably just never logged in, and then yeah. the, the information disappeared. I don't I don't but, have uh, the Patreon. <laughs> no, that's true. Because did we establish that if you have the Patreon, we have to lose two percent of what we get? Oh, and yeah. we decided it wasn't worth it, even though it's like what fifty quid or something. Yeah, that'd be unacceptable. Um, <laughs> so if I ever want to read any of the comments on the locked Patreon posts, which of course I do because I'm a vain creature, I have to get Catherine to log in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be an easier way why don't you just catherine can unsubscribe and then we can make you an admin and then we'll just lose two percent no of the, the no cuts. i refuse to lose that two percent <laughs> to those that, those greedy yeah. swine at patreon <laughs> that's half of leah richardson's uh, edit fee per uh, excel episode yeah. isn't it? we gotta gotta keep liam in you know nice shoes and, and such <laughs> i don't know what he spends money on probably um, shoes probably shoes so yes um speaking of the patreon matthew we actually just rolled out the first episode of our uh, stretch goal mini series, PC Gaming Classics. Although the host did go ro- rogue and call it the Backer Page Podcast. So, do you want to talk a bit about about that, Matthew, and what the shape of that is, and and why we did it, and all that stuff? Some of the cynical truth is that this was born from us probably not having a time to do a, a third show in the mix, and so we wanted to do something new and um you know i think we'd thrown a few ideas back and forth about you know if we were to reach a stretch goal and invite someone to create something as part of our back page ecosystem a few kind of names came up obviously we've done a few episodes with jeremy we really love jeremy also jeremy is super super knowledgeable on pc gaming which you know you are as well but i'm definitely less so and you know, we saw a kind of space there. Did he, did we pitch the broad idea to him, or did he pitch the broad idea to us? I came up with it and then went to him with it. <laughs> yes, um, because I I just thought what what I would like to listen to is Jeremy Peel talking about Deus Ex for two hours. I thought that'd be that'd be good. Yeah. Um, and while they're not while they're not doing Deus Ex this episode, <laughs> uh, so this this little mini series, um, they yeah that that was very much like what it was born from. And Jeremy was like, yeah, I'm up for this. And then it just. Timed perfectly um, with the amount of money we've made. We can pay Phil and Jeremy what I would call quite a reasonable fee for their time. Mm. Um, so it all works out and they get to keep a full 
creator rights to what they've made yeah, as well, which and, is yeah, surely the dream. Obviously, Phil's not been on the podcast before, um, maybe a new name to, to some of our listeners. I mean, he's goes back in games magazines, was on official PlayStation for a long time, and is still heavily involved in games like Rights Lot and PC Gamer, and it's just a, a voice who is in the UK game scene. So great to great to sort of fold it in. I'm you know I'm pleased that they they did it as a pairing because a, a monologue kind of researched essay podcast style uh while doable is is probably not like totally in keeping with that page style and actually what they've created i think does sort of fit the tone of, of what we, you know fundamentally it's two pals talking about something they really like and um jeremy and phil came up with some fun twists and extra sort of gimmicks to put into the episode there's a big sort of central section called review war where they both create a kind of uh, sort of an audio review, I guess, of of the game that they're discussing, and they're trying to kind of compete to make the best one. Written is in the style of like if it was a PC gamer intro at the time. Yes, so yeah, they're kind of high, slightly high concept, but also like sort of hilariously overproduced uh, in a way which I got a lot of time for. Reminded me of some of the nonsense in episode one hundred, actually. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's kind of got its own jokes, its own flavour, and and they're playing the game sort of fresh to refresh themselves so it's it's not me kind of half remembering something from 15 years ago which a lot of this <laughs> podcast is the real kind of like uh, sting in the tail i guess is that phil is actually playing the games on an old pc that he's built so it's yes. like basically uh, like a beige pc from the time <laughs> that he's slowly been assembling and he is replaying them on that which is i feel like when he told me that i was like wow we're definitely getting our money's worth here so yeah I'm, that's I'm delighted, yeah, that's, frankly. that's fun it's like the anti what was the name of the the mega rig at pc gamer oh oh gosh it had a uh, really the... funny name it was like something collider was it it was it was like a large hadron collider type name wasn't it yeah uh yeah, pixel I can't collider now. or the large oh large pixel collider that was it yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's like the anti version of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah like really beige was he even talking about buying paints that you can spray paint beige onto a, <laughs> some computer parts and i was like that is fucking hardcore right there I'm, like, I'm trying to make it look like a dad study it's circa 1997 and uh i respect it but yeah that's that is available now that's the first episodes on system shock 2 Episodes on Westwood's Blade Runner game, uh, the original Fallout. Trespasser. <laughs> fucking Trespasser, that's in there for whatever reason. Um, there is another episode of Forget... Oh, XCOM, the original XCOM, X-COM, not the uh, for Axis ones, of course. And then the the uh, series finale is uh, Quake versus... Was it Quake 2 versus Half-Life, I think it is? Yeah. Um, it so, yes. I think that's correct so yeah like i said they're all rolling out monthly mm. everyone who backs us at the four pound 50 level is getting that and uh, after the six months of, of episodes have rolled out they can have the, the episodes to do with what they please we might run them on the free feed eventually mm. who knows but yeah very exciting matthew so that's the preamble done the big sell and um, just to like encourage our listeners to go check that out if they're supporting us we really do appreciate the support we are bewildered that we've gone beyond two grand at this point um, I'm getting fearful for like um, the growing expectation that comes with a rising sum of money, but I'm trying to hang in there. So this episode, Matthew, God of War Ragnarok, spoiler-free conversation about this big Sony PS4, PS5 exclusive game. This rolled out at the end of the year, very much the, the, the kind of main event when it comes to blockbusters in this this period. If you don't care about Call of Duty, that's uh, that's me right there descri- <laughs> describing. So first things first, Matthew... We did this so we did this Elden Ring before. We just basically me and Matthew did our best to play through as much of it as we could. 
we'll go into like how far we got shortly. First things first, Matthew, in this game, the start of this game, which picks up after God of War 2018, uh, Kratos and his son Atreus are still living in this tiny house. Atreus is now like a teenager. There's uh, yeah, there's Kratos there, Atreus there, and uh, head uh, the head of Mimir, uh, a wisecracking Scottish disembodied head, all living in this little shed. That housing situation, let's discuss it. What's the deal there? Like that to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> basically a teenage boy and his two platonic dads in a tiny space like that. That's like that's got some issues, right? Where where are you at with that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'm entirely on on, but I'm sort of a night a nightmare for me. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I found the house kind of suggestive of a weird living situation in the first game because uh, Kratos's like massive double bed uh, is pressed up right against Atreus's tiny single bed, and when you start playing that game. You know, you don't know if he's going to have any of the kind of horniness left in him from the earlier games. That whole setup would become nightmarish if so. But luckily, not the case. I mean, his wife's dead for one, so there's there's no suggestion of any kind of nocturnal activity that Atreus has to sort of deal with. Yeah, he's not even sad horny like um, <laughs> Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut. Do you know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> just like just sad, non-horny. Yeah, just, yeah, I had a couple of like incredibly out of character rude tweets that i was toying with that i was sorely tempted to do and then uh, and then kept talking myself out of doing because <laughs> i didn't want to be like horny on main and uh we don't do that here i had this format which is like i can't believe the sex mini game in this game is and then i had lots of funny versions well i thought funny versions of what the sex mini game in 2018 god of war or ragnarok would look like Right, but I just thought it would be shocking for people if I did it on Twitter because that's just not that's not 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 my style. Um, <laughs> like I'm followed by family members, and so I decided not to. That is fair. The house situation. I don't know. I quite like Mimir. I wouldn't personally have a problem having him around. Yeah, keep things light. Are you are you pro Mimir? He's the sort of tonal missing piece when you play the first part of um, God of War 2018, and it's a bit too dour and it's a bit too much conflict between the two characters. You really need someone to cut through that. And uh, here he is here. He also gets a bit more sort of going on dramatically in this game, like a bit more direct involvement in the story, which I think works quite well. Yeah, I like Mamir. Yeah, big, big Mamir head. <laughs> As I say. <laughs> um, so, Matthew, first up, one thing I do have to say, right, is I got a copy of this from Sony to play, which yeah. very nice of them. But I do have to disclose that as part of like the rules of doing it. So, yes, the disclosure should be placed where viewers are not likely to miss it. There you go. No viewers, but that'll do. Um, so, yes, that's just just saying that uh, to, get, to get that out of the way. Now that I'm on the take, I need to like just you know get it out there. <laughs> I love that we're legit enough now to get first-party Sony games. That's exciting. I did wonder if someone was like doing me a favor behind the scenes. Like uh, that, that kind of occurred to me. But I was very grateful for it, um, mm-hmm. of course. And so yes, uh, I bought it. Yeah, you bought it, and then you, and also you finished it, and I didn't, which I feel terrible about. Yeah, um, I've just been too fucking busy. So <laughs> to start with, then Matthew, um, aside from the housing situation, which we've now uh, you know discussed and sewn that up, that's you know good banter in the can there. Um, <laughs> going into this, what were your expectations like for a sequel to 2018's God of War? I felt like they kept under wraps like so much of what this game actually is and um yeah i just wondered 
what you brought to it as a player? I was excited about it from from a sort of narrative perspective and some of the beats I thought it would have to cover I was intrigued to see. So my big problem with 2018 is I'm slightly cooler on the last act than than some. I feel like the game's building towards something and you know the first game 2018 is the story of Kratos and Atreus uh, going to scatter um, Atreus' mother's ashes um, atop a mountain, and it really is as simple as you're trying to get up a mountain. And there's there's obviously lots of things that kind of waylay you along along the way. But I was sort of surprised that actually at the end that that kind of what was what 2018 was about, and I felt it was quite anticlimactic given that the other games before that. Uh, while very different beasts they ended with spectacle and you killing gods and you know most of these games end in quite a big way and actually this this game kind of swerved and went quite subtle with it but I also felt like it had seeded a lot of gods and interesting characters who I was excited to meet who then didn't turn up and I, I, I actually felt the third act was slightly underwhelming because of that so in my head this was like well you know finally I'm gonna get to have the kind of grudge match with presumably Thor, presumably Odin, all these other gods. You know, I'm definitely going to meet someone because you don't really meet anyone in 2018, not anyone of note. So that's that's sort of how I was approaching it. Do you have any sort of similar read? Yeah, so I, I was a lot bigger on um, that last act. Mm. Uh, I quite like that it kind of ends, there's like a big battle and then it's sort of like a subdued sort of finale. We have famously discussed many times why that's not your bag, Matthew, which is absolutely fine. I think, like, definitely the sort of giant realm is very brief. It's like basically like one staircase you walk up, and then there's some murals, and then that's it. Um, and I, but I really love the world building of the first one. I love the the way it would seed different bits of story that, like you say, putting a lot on the table to pay off in this one. Mm. They do that just incredibly well. Um, like it, they did really well at like creating a world where they felt like it had so much history, but also that that history was kind of living on a kind of weird cycle where everyone knew where it was going. And things that were going to happen had already happened. And what had already happened was something that was going to happen. Like, it was quite a disorienting way of um, presenting that story. But one that I think suits the kind of Norse mythology element of um, of these games really well. It just, yeah, it just, I think it just added to the mythical element of mm. them. Um, I would say for all that setup that it does, and th- there is a lot in 2018, which is kind of left hanging. Like, you know, even kind of story missions which you deem relatively unimportant someone might say something like you'll regret this and Ragnarok goes out of its way to kind of pay off everything it would be a terrible jumping in point yeah like it it really does feel like it's in direct conversation with 2018 in a, in a way which very few sequels genuinely require you or are better at kind of catching you up and there's a little recap video at the start but in this one, I, I think you'd be really missing the point if you hadn't played 2018. It's like the second half of the story, essentially. Um, well, arguably more than half, yeah. is, uh, <laughs> as we'll get into. Um, so yeah, I think that it can very neatly be described, Matthew, as if um, 2018 is telling, this one is showing in terms of like storytelling presentation. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's less it's less hint and more, oh, here's literally all the stuff we talked about in that first game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's that is quite an interesting contrast, uh, and it definitely feels like what has played into that with this game. Um, we'll get into some light spoilers here. I will just say, just generally, like just for the setup of the game, that sort of thing. So you have, if you haven't played it at all, you want to go completely fresh. 
Def, I would recommend like putting this episode on hold for a little while, um, but we will avoid major story spoilers for sure, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, I just think that what is obvious is that they established the fundamentals so cleanly with 2018 that this one feels like the game where it's like they have changed things, but what if we just build loads of fucking stuff and put it in this game? <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, do you think that's that's fair to, to, to yeah. kind of define the approach here? The, the template was established, this just runs with it. They worked out how to make this game work in 2018. They worked out how to do this sort of over-the-shoulder combat perspective, what the kind of flow of the game, the overall structure of the game, and it took them, a, you know, a long time to find that by all accounts and this is like what happens if you 100% know what you're working on and can just make loads of levels and stories and maybe struggle to like move that formula on in any meaningful way because you went through such a arduous process of kind of nailing it the first time around and really getting it feeling good that they don't meddle with it too much but I'd also argue they don't have like a huge amount more to say mechanically than they did in the original yes i think that's that's the thing is i i afford them that right to take what they built and then improve on it this is like you know we covered this in the god of war games ranked episode but like you know the first game really did establish all the fundamentals i'm, I'm talking about the ps2 first mm. game in 2005 and then the second one famously just like you know takes that arguably not to its peak but certainly much much further in terms of presentation what they can do that sort of thing um mm -hmm. so yes it does mean that it feels incremental um as a kind of sequel but also you just cannot deny the the absolute volley of production values at work here <laughs> like it's kind of an extraordinary thing in terms of like you pay 60 quid for this game or whatever 70 quid 50 quid wherever you get it however you get it you you definitely get your money's worth, I would say, for like shit it shows you. Um, yeah. On that level, on that, if you measure value of a game in that sense, it feels like it really, it really pays off, right? This this almost felt like two two games at the same time. Not not in conflict. It just felt like there was like enough content to fill two God of War twenty eighteens, and it, it really is the second and third act of a story. If if God of War twenty eighteen is the first act, whether or not that's like detrimental, like I still haven't decided where I like land on that. Like there, there's lots of places where I think this could have finished, and I wouldn't necessarily have thought I'd been shortchanged. But because it kept on going, there were certain elements of it I got on less with over time. It's interesting to me that they decided 100% to like let's do the all the Norse storyline let's tie it up here and make it a duology which who does that you know this is the age of the trilogy everything's a trilogy or worse it's you know ongoing endless universal sagas um, <laughs> a duology is a very unusual it's like finally all the answers to that one game and you're like well one game isn't much of a build-up <laughs> you know I, I always find that quite an odd pitch I'm going to lay out some fundamentals here, Matthew. So just to kind of like establish, you know, a bit more about where the game starts you and yeah. why what you say is significant about how it does feel like two games in one, which I completely agree with. Um, so, yes, yeah, so at the start of this game, basically, you know that Ragnarok is coming, which is, you know, basically like the end times for, uh, you know, Norse, uh, for Asgard. I think that's essentially what Ragnarok means, right? Um, and so basically... Odin and Thor come knocking on your door and try and make a deal. Kratos says no, 
and then basically you're at war with um you know the gods of asgard and that's essentially the premise of the game um it also picks up an element where um from the previous game where an ally of yours um, is no longer your ally and is in fact your enemy and then the story picks up from there it is like a the similar deal over the shoulder action adventure not really open world less open world this one i think even than the first one but it does have like a kind of slightly uh, slightly zeldery structure i suppose or maybe a slightly metroidy structure where um, you can go back to places and use different abilities to interact with the world in different ways and then yeah it's primarily a hack and slash kind of like game but the camera is quite up close and um and sort of like uh, goes from there essentially and what i find really interesting about this matthew and i think this speaks to what you're saying about how it's like a heck of a lot of story and a lot of game in one is how many second acts there are in the story of this game right um it's like cascading second acts you get that set up and then it's like it's kind of almost episodic you know it's like here's like a big level here's a big like tension at the end of the level here's like a twist on in the story that kind of like flips everything and then like it's time for another second act and then another twist and another second act and another twist and i feel like it does that a few times over you know um Mm. what it could have just been like basically a a neat three-act story game which i think the first game was to an extent um and this is like yeah very generous but it's a lot isn't it normally uh, that would be exciting to me like you know good getting my money's worth i'm getting so much story you know this is this is all exciting and in its individual moments, there's loads of stuff I, I really love. Without spoiling it, I will say it plays a lot with the, the central pairing of characters. There are other support characters in the mix at times, and it can kind of change the flavour that way. And there's a, a lot of fun in that. You know, you get to meet a lot of people and it changes the tone and flavour of the game for stretches because you get to talk to different people or hear different perspectives. But at the same time... It feels like it's trying to take the narrative approach of 2018, which was quite slow burn. I would say a surprisingly deep study of a few characters. It's a game with maybe like five or six central characters, and it's kind of investigating the kind of the relationship between them and and particularly how the central relationship of Kratos and Atreus kind of thaws and and develops through the game. It's almost like they have the narrative chops that they learnt in that game, and they want to apply it here, but also the canvas is so wide that it has some quite bad pacing issues because it spends so much time drilling into every fucking character. I just think they they needed to kind of self-edit a bit or chop a couple of characters from the story if everyone's important kind of no one's important and i found it quite hard to grip onto any kind of hierarchy of what what was important in the story like i have i kind of struggled to tell you what this game was really about because it wants to be about so many things so you know there's there's craft in all of it but there's almost like too much craft (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I know what you mean so i kind of like a thing that i was surprised I was like not let down by but didn't totally gel with is that I kind of miss the elusive element of the world they set up in God of War 2018 where there are these figures like Tyr that you hear about but you don't see and you don't expect to see and like you know and indeed the Asgard gods and there's there are tons of the giants and all these different figures who you never actually encounter and in this game almost every single figure that is set up in that first game it's just like a guy you meet, you know? Um, yeah. And like, I hate to be like, to look a gift horse in the mouth. 
But I quite like the idea that there was an element of something above you that you didn't interact with, that you didn't see. Um, and here, it's almost all brought back down to earth by the fact that the character that features at the heart of like one chapter of the game is someone you heard about very briefly in the first game, for example, which does happen. And that almost takes a tiny bit away from the magic of the setting of that first game to me. Um, mm. Because it does become a cast overload. And also the very like lonely adventure feel of 2018 um, can't be replicated when you have like uh, basically like a house full of like uh, different sort of side characters and allies, which makes it feel a bit more almost like God of War Avengers-y, you know? Um, yeah. Which is a, a choice, but I quite like the lonely like land battered by selfish gods element of that t of the 2018 game and that goes away a little bit here as a result of what you're saying right absolutely i need it's it's interesting like the the review that got me most excited for this was um eurogamers which i think was chris tapsell wrote that one i think there was like a hint in that of like the wild excess of old god of war is back which if you listen to our big god of war episode you'll know that you know, while I really admire 2018, while we both really admire 2018 and listed it as the best God of War game, we had a lot of fondness for the, the kind of sheer momentum and excess of the earlier games. You know, those were games where you literally chewed through a pantheon of gods every game and then it would be like, next up, here are these 10 myths and you're going to destroy, you're going to kill like a legend every half an hour or whatever in the old God of Wars. And it, to me, the idea that this was going to be stacked in that way got me really excited. And it probably has a cast list and a myth, you know, a list of myths that are kind of the equivalent of what you would chew through in, say, God of War 3. But the difference is, like, every one of those characters maybe has, like, four hours of screen time in which you get to know them, they get to explain their deep psychologies, and then you get to feel really terrible when you do finally kill them or not, or encounter them or not. And that's that's the huge difference. Like it has the grabby greediness of old God of War with like how much stuff it crams in, but it also wants to be this sophisticated, I don't want to say more realistic, but like yet more psychologically real version of those characters that were established in 2018. And I just don't know if those two approaches go together. You know, the, the, the excitement of having such a crammed cast is actually quite lost. You, you will forget a lot of characters in this until they turn up and you're like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot that this game was sort of about Odin and Thor because they've been gone for 15 hours. That to me is kind of odd. I, I was ready for this is like, we are going to fucking murder our way through Asgard and it's going to be rad <laughs> as hell. And there is a version of this game that is that, but there's so much shit in the middle of it <laughs> that impression is lost. It is interesting because I do feel, like you say, like I, the excess at work here is is kind of amazing. Um, and... If I bought this as a punter, I definitely feel like I got my money's worth out of what they've made yeah. as a result of that approach. I think that the other slight issue it brings is the number of characters and the deepening of, like, you know, showing all these side characters, inner psychologies or whatever, is that it almost softens the edges slightly too much. Um, it's like there's almost a bit too much empathy going on with some of these characters right. or like too much insight into their life story. Like generally speaking, I felt like there were, I, and I, I, and this is where we should probably explain. You finished the game right after 34 yeah. hours. Yeah, that's right. And I've, I'm like, I'm 16 hours in 
I am at like a basically an, an icy lake with some dogs. That's all I'm saying. No spoilers <laughs> there. Um, so which is I think like not even halfway through the story, which is you know fine. It's like a massive game, much bigger than the people on how long to beat said it was. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, I felt like a slight yeah softening of the edges of God of War. Whereas I think that the 2018 game was so good at giving you this like tense kind of like feeling of Kratos is carrying around this personal history. And he's raising this son with, you know, his wife is dead. And like, you know, he's, there's that, that struggling kind of relationship. And here it's a bit like, there's a bit of a, the gang's all here kind of element to it. Kratos is surrounded by so many people that his edges are softened slightly as well. And it starts to feel slightly un-God of War to me in the, the sense of like how I how I perceive God of War. Yeah. Um, now you could argue that that tone needed to move on and fine. Um, but there's other stuff like, there's a lot of critters in this game, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, kind creatures and things. And that sort of stuff as well, like softens the edges a bit. Do you know what I mean? Did you notice the, the amount of critters? Yeah, it's like, it's a game that's like designed to be clipped and screenshotted like every couple of hours. There, There is lots of dogs and wolves and big wolves that get patted a lot and there's a lot of the animation and the kind of sort of fidelity of all this sort of fur parting as you rub your hands through various creatures and it's classic kind of meme bait you know kratos kratos likes dogs or kratos thaws his cold heart towards some dogs or whatever like that it, it does that trick over and over again there's also like there's a very annoying squirrel oh yeah really annoying squirrel i think part of it comes from like i say this this is allegedly the 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 last game they're going to make in this uh norse setting you know a lot of these things they are things pulled from myth and they're they're just shoving them in because they shove everything in and it just so happens that there are a lot of like weird and wonderful creatures uh in norse mythology for them to include in the mix so i think it's partly that but i think there's definitely like a they're pandering to the kind of good boy lobby (laughs) what a great way of putting it the good boy lobby yeah and i I fucking hate dogs so like i'm like that stuff really leaves me cold i'm like yeah all right and (laughs) like the dogs get bigger and bigger as well. This game's got some big dogs in it. <laughs> it's just so you don't see, you can't miss the dogs when people screen grab them and with the PS share button and <laughs> put them on Twitter, Matthew. Um, yeah, I don't want to be too cynical about this because, you know, fine, the game's not just made for me and it's like yeah. maybe it's trying to speak to different audiences with this stuff. But I feel like I can draw the line at the squirrel. I feel like <laughs> Spartan era squir- uh, Kratos would have had no fucking time for that squirrel. He would have like grabbed it with a blade of chaos and then like fucking lobbed it into king midas or something like that's you know what i mean like it's or drowned it in atlantis or something like he'd have fed it so many nuts that its gut would have exploded (laughs) it's just got a bit of a kind of like narnia vibe to it you know when you and i I was just a bit like mr tumnus like um you know in in like asgardian mythology or something like i'm not big on the squirrel i'm not big on like very slow rides on the back of creatures which this game likes to do like not so not that's not for me dog you know yeah i i think that there's there's a particular stretch of this that i, I thought was kind of pure death and i think yeah I, i've seen other people say like who weren't necessarily feeling it were like i'm out and th- there's a section where you spend a considerable amount of time with this young girl i can sort of understand 
why she's in there like it's a very male story there's not a lot of like big female characters in it and it's kind of it's interesting to have someone more atrius's age for him to interact with but it just saps any any momentum you've built up like just when you're getting ready or or, or getting into the kind of central storyline you, you suddenly spend maybe 90 minutes with this character in uh, a classic bit of like pat the ox kind of game design which is you know the that the uncharted 2 kind of social beat where all fundamental gameplay stops i don't think you can even draw your weapon and you just spend you know some time with a good hang and bantering and not solving puzzles like you really are just pushing an interactive cutscene forward but it feels like you're pushing it forward for a long ass time and it's a trick the game repeats so many times that by the end of it i actually i i'd really fallen out of love with it i'd sort of fallen out of love with it before you know i already think naughty dog have have done that trick to death which is the well you know this game isn't all violence and killing we're going to spend 20 minutes just larking around and you know, look at our great writing and look at our, you know, beautiful character animation. And, you know, we understand sweet moments in life too, but that is Sony's, like, big first-party trick. That That is that happens in so many of their games. Horizon, Uncharted, Last of Us, this. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. That is as done and cliched as the Ubisoft bell tower for me. You know, I, am, I roll my eyes at it, even though, the, like I say, the amount of craft that goes into those moments, writing that dialogue... The voice acting, the motion capture, the world design. There's so many bespoke animations as you go around collecting vegetables to feed some cows, which is fundamentally what this this particular section is about. It just runs so counter to the rest of the game. And are people still wowed by that? So yeah, that was, of what I've played so far, like by far my least favourite bit of the game. Um, it just goes on for so, so long. And I think it, it could be like a third of the length it is. Uh, maybe with a quarter of the length. It's like, the thing is, right, that whole section is kind of about, if I have an issue with that character that you meet, it's that she is basically a plot device, uh, like a means to an end, quite a kind of like tropey plot device. And then I think the game tries to own the fact that she is a plot device by making you spend so much time with her and being like, but she's got a rich in her life, so well, yeah, you know, but she can't it, just be a plot device, but she still is a plot device, you know? It, it does that It does that so much. There's so many characters in this game that you, you go off on jaunts with where actually what you're doing is collecting some meaningless MacGuffin, and this is a game with a lot of MacGuffins. There are so many, like, strands to this game that are interesting. Like, none of them are terrible, I'd say. But if it focused on, like, one of them, I think it would be that much stronger. Like, I think the first game really benefits from being fundamentally about Kratos and Atreus climbing a mountain and learning to, like, live with one another with a quite an interesting mm. B story about their relationship with Balder and this um, sort of Witch of the Woods character. This has, like, five versions of that, and at any one time, you're like, well, what, what am I actually meant to care about here? What is the story of the game? Like, is it still about Kratos and Atreus? You spend so much time with other people, you might think it isn't, you know? And some of those other people reflect Kratos and Atreus in interesting ways. I mean, it's very hard to talk about without spoiling it, but there are, there are characters you can see Kratos in, there are characters you can see Atreus in, and it draws so many comparisons and it pulls you in so many directions by the end of it, I was like, what is this game actually fucking about? Like, I, what's the message? Like, what's the journey we've been on? 
um, I found that very confusing for something which has clearly been like incredibly finely honed and workshopped and tightened and you know it's it's just so sprawling. One thing I will say as well is despite there being this like quite big cast of new characters, I still haven't met one I like nearly as much as Freya, the witch in the woods in the first game, right. the first game who I, I absolutely love that character and I think she's like so well drawn here and expanded upon like it's such a just a brilliant creation Mm. and like i just i think it just maybe feels a bit more self-consciously like they're introducing characters and asking you to like them in a way that i don't think they did with freya in the first game she felt more like well she just happens to live here too in this land that's been like basically fucked up by odin and his you know fat sons or whatever and like you know that's uh, and that kind of it feels quite organic whereas like like you say it is like you are rounding them up and then it is saying and now you spend time with them and now you like them right and it's like that kind of what it do, what it does instead it can't it can't be as organic because it is trying to like tell all those stories at once so you, i think you notice it more when they're asking you to like these different supporting characters. God, I feel so grateful saying that, though, because uh, no, it's... The, the situations in which you meet these characters are very beautifully made levels and <laughs> yeah, like, right. amazing places, and it's so well acted and directed and stuff like that. So it is. I think it is more of a pacing issue than it is a content issue. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just because the arrangement of it, you know? I, th- I think there's like uh, an even better version of 2018 like in a 20 hour cut of Ragnarok but it's for me 34 hours and that's with uh, just a shit ton of side content I didn't do I think I was doing a bit more than you and I think we'll get to that a bit later but um the highs are higher like I I, I don't mean to just endlessly dunk on it like I fundamentally had a had a had a pretty good to great time playing this game the whole time I was just like man it's so it's so overdone it's so overcooked like the best bits of this are, are fantastic and i just wish they kind of came together a bit closer i wish that you know there are stretches of it where you suddenly hit like a rush of set pieces and bosses and it, it just absolutely flies but then it's like no let's go and walk around this guy's house for half an hour or let's go and talk to this guy and just didn't move those characters on in an interesting enough way yeah so i do agree with you and i've got a long way to go let me ask you this though matthew because you are you have finished the game. Do you think the pacing improves as it goes along? Or do you think a lot of the, the pacing issues are in that first half that I've played? I think the final like run of missions, there's a bit more momentum to them. Like You feel like, oh, I'm not going to go off and do side content. Or it would feel narratively odd for me not to push on. You know, I think it does build up a bit of head of steam. And the last hour and a half of it is a pretty awesome payoff the way it kind of brings everything together and and you know all these characters who i was grumbling about you're glad that they're in the mix but at the same time their fundamental role you know come the conclusion is so sort of minor you're like did i really need to know that person to appreciate this particular beat you know seeing Mm. someone do something cool on the battlefield did i really need to spend an hour learning their backstory for me to enjoy them firing out some fucking mad spell or whatever no probably not it's not like the mass effect suicide mission in terms of like bringing characters together but it has a sort of similar structure to it in that you're like you sort of amass people at this sort of hub house throughout the game and there is a sense of you building an army and sort of as you solve solve problems in different realms you're like earning the loyalty of different realms who are gonna sort of you know hopefully side with you against the big baddies and you know that 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 in itself has has some momentum, but it, I I felt like the first game going off and exploring 
fit the whole thing better because while you have this ultimate goal that you're trying to climb this mountain it's not like super pressing it's not like we have to deliver the ashes in five days or mother's going to be cursed you know it's we have to do this and whenever you go off you learn a little bit more about each other where here you're like well like it's end of days have we really got time to go and collect like a cup that a guy lost i don't know <laughs> yeah it's like it's at least very sort of um signposty about this is side content and this is not yeah um i have mostly skipped it so far i get the sense that the side content probably does have even more meat on the bones than the um side content did in um the first game because you know some of it is tied to the supporting characters um they give you more reasons to spend time in these beautiful places that they've created um and there are so many beautiful places in this game uh, which is, you know, absolutely worth pointing out. It's like again speaks to the generous ethos of the overall game. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just it depends whether you're just in the right headspace for it. I suppose as, as if you want to go after it. That's the thing because when the main game has so much stuff in it, um, my needs to see supporting content diminishes somewhat. Just on a like a human being in his thirties time level, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, <laughs> do I have time for like fifty hours of this game total, or do I just want to see the the 20-hour version the answer is i probably just want to see the 20-hour version to be honest unless that side content is extraordinarily side content is extraordinarily good um let's talk about the combat instead matthew switch tack a little bit i feel like we covered the story there quite nicely um my biggest issue with this game is like the slight changes to the combat make it a bit more frustrating than before um now i think it is basically it's it's about 80 percent the same combat i would say they had a bunch of new enemy types in it to mix things up. Uh, some of those enemy types are good. Some of the ones they've added, much smaller enemies that can kind of like run around you very quickly. Or these orb enemies that need to be hit with one attack and then hit with another a separate attack in order to be destroyed. Those didn't really do much for me. But <laughs> I like the orbs. Uh, fair enough. Well, I like the orbs because they become like explosive projectiles when they die. So when they start mixing orbs with other people, you can actually chew through people using the orbs quite a lot, which is what I liked. I like that too because that's the idea of like you know, yeah, like basically like one thing impacting another as yeah. part of the combat. That's new to the to this game, right? There, there was nothing like that in the first. Not that game. I really nothing that sticks with me anyway. No, just like I think like the exploding um, uh, sort of like red. Uh, like you know earn things were basically the only thing yeah. i think like that in there so yeah that is interesting the the problem i've had with this so far is that i i do feel like even i feel like i'm following the power curve quite neatly of how you're supposed to upgrade your axe at different times or the blades of chaos at different times the enemies are still a little bit too spongy for me just take a bit too much hitting and hitting and hitting takes a long time for them to give you new runic moves which are like special moves for you to activate so it doesn't feel like you're clearing them super fast. If there is a power curve at play here, it's quite a slow one. And the amount of projectile attacks and AoE attacks in this game, of which there are quite a few, like a dude will just like blip some poison at you, or you know someone will hit you with a spell or whatever, or some um, people will like drop this ice thing that kind of explodes on the ground and causes a little AoE attack. I find that a lot of that quite frustrating for. A game, that, a third-person game that has the camera so close to the character, um, and where the indicators of an enemy is attacking behind you don't necessarily scream. There's an enemy who's about to hit you with a sword, or an enemy is about to hit you with a spell that's like an AOE attack and might damage you without you realizing you're actually in the firing zone. Right. Um, and so I just had a few too many instances where I'm like, oh, I'm dead because I got 
uh, basically a dude burped some poison at me and I wasn't looking. And like, <laughs> I think that's just, there's just a bit too much going on on that level that made me feel slightly less empowered in how I was playing it. But you've finished the game, Matthew. How would you describe the power curve generally of the combat? It's an odd one because I felt the original game was also very slow burn because it, you know, it is quite an original combat system. You know, that sort of over the shoulder kind of resi for perspective but a melee combat system first and foremost, you know, that felt quite new and it felt like it had to kind of teach you its rhythms and it layered up extra special attacks and powers and then Atreus learns more powers and it also wove that stuff into the story. So as as you're kind of coming to understand each other, you're both becoming more interesting combat abilities. Halfway through 2018, you get a return to a classic God of War weapon, and that's like a very nice, like both narrative and mechanical beat, where you, all of a sudden you've got like two modes that opens up. After that very delicate pacing, this one like almost hit hit. You almost sort of slam on the gas quite early in that you have both those weapons from quite early on in this game, and I genuinely didn't really remember how they worked. I don't think they add the second weapon in any way near as careful a manner as they did in the first game like I was like where does this fit into things like I don't think it really explains itself it sort of expects you to know how the combat works from the first game where so I actually kind of I don't know if I was making great use of those weapons like I really fight with the axe for probably like 80% of this game um mm. and the other weapon like less so mild spoiler alert you may want to skip ahead to two minutes there is a new weapon in the game i won't say what it is it comes i'd say quite late into it maybe two-thirds into it which doesn't like radically transform things you know it fundamentally has a lot of the same behaviors as the other two like it's still a melee thing that also has a ranged element its ranged quality is slightly different in that you kind of plant it and then detonate it later that's quite a nice sort of punctuation in battle it's kind of trigger motion but again like i only really used it on like a couple of boss fights which it felt like it was designed to do those boss fights and then i went straight mm. back to the axe i mean i really did like monster other people with the axes and i don't know if this reflects how you play these games but i only ever dip into the other weapons to basically use their runic attacks which are like very very powerful but very slow cooldown special attacks so i basically have the second and third weapon as a bank of special powers if i just need to nuke someone i'll switch to them fire them off and then go back to the axe just because i'm a bit more comfortable with how it behaves like the speed yeah. of that weapon i never quite understand how like the elemental part of this works either because sometimes they're like oh yeah this enemy you what the the frozen axe won't work as well as the like blades of chaos or whatever and i don't really notice it that much to be honest yeah um, for I, the most part you know there's a little bit like use the hot weapon on the cold enemies use the cold weapon on the hot enemies and like i get that and and sometimes you have some encounters where you feel like if you match it, you really chop through. Half the time, though, like you say, there's a sort of sponginess to everything. And I know some people really vouch for this and say that this game is full of, you know, mad, complicated depths. I mean, for me, it's got such a generous shield and parry that I don't think of this as being like a Dark Souls or certainly not like a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta-style character action game. I think it's you've got this very generous defensive maneuver you can kind of hide behind if you want. You can play quite cowardly and carefully and get through most encounters and it's perfectly fine. One thing I do like in 2018 and this, and this definitely grows this aspect of the game, is the idea of 
like builds and like the armor you have and the special abilities that are attached to each piece of armor can give you quite bespoke Kratoses who benefit if you match the right things together. Armor sets having unique characteristics is nothing new. But here, the way they kind of play into certain fighting styles, so like the armor I had made my melee attacks very, very strong if I attacked someone with who was poisoned. And then I equipped something else, either to my weapon or in another slot. There's so many fucking slots on this guy. Um, <laughs> that There are. Yeah, basically, if you attacked barehanded... It, that built up poison really quickly. So, that, like, the rhythm of most of my combat came th- about throw the axe, run in, punch a few times to poison them, and then unleash this damage-boosted hell on, on, on a now-poisoned enemy. And there I felt like, oh, yeah, all these things, the sort of synergies, I guess, between all these parts are really working. And, you know, it wasn't complicated. Like, you just have to sort of read through quite a lot of conflicting armor instructions and 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 go well if this gives me this and this is good against that then if i put them together that'll probably be beneficial and i I quite like that there is a like an immediate benefit to playing Mm. with those builds you know you can make a kratos who is an amazing ranged kratos or you can make a kratos who is built around the hot weapon or the cold weapon and it's sort of broader but like more satisfying than kind of getting lost in the weeds of you know, individual sort of, you know, can I boost my strength by five? Because what the fuck does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, I think as well, I really, one thing I really love about it is that it it has the conviction in the fact that those two weapons were already so strong and doesn't like, you know, after playing something like Bayonetta 3, which, you know, basically just like sh- shotguns <laughs> new things at you every single level, essentially, um, until you have like a vast array of things sight on a cycle. This is like, nope, the axe worked, the Blades of Chaos worked, what will change is all the other stuff around it, the enemies you fight, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, like you say, there is this other weapon that comes into it. And I really admire the fact they held the nerve on that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Bayonetta, though, because when it did introduce the third weapon, having seen how crazy the weapons got in Bayonetta, this feels very underwhelming that my big narrative (laughs) payoff is a weapon which is basically the same as the other two weapons now people who really get lost in the weeds of this game will say that's ridiculous all three weapons in god of war are hugely different but they're not different in the way that in bayonetta one of your special attacks is you control a train and lay railway (laughs) tracks drive through enemies and another of your special attacks is an entire clock tower comes out of the ground, has arms that come out and becomes like a giant punching friend. Like Bayonetta has like a wild originality that I was I was constantly thinking of when I was playing this. It was particularly with the new abilities. I was like, these are pretty undercooked. You know, these are not or just boring. Yeah, I, f- I can kind of see what what contrast those two games I mean, are really. yeah completely I mean, different it's like imagine kratos had his like fucking norse god train or something like that like one is hugely polished and the other is Bayonetta three so <laughs> you know. yeah exactly i would have might have seen the gauntlets from uh the god of war games return matthew some big fist hands they would be a bit different wouldn't they um yeah but i guess they, they don't do that i guess um but I, I i think i'm pretty close to getting the weapon you're talking of so uh yeah i don't yeah i don't, yeah, don't want to spoil it for you but it, uh, one of the things fine. i really like in any metroidvania is looking at the the blockages and the obstacles and trying to work out what i'm gonna get that fixes them Mm. 
Yeah. God of War was quite good at that in that there's there's lots of like holes with air spraying out of them and you're like, well, what's that going to be? Like, am I going <laughs> to do something with the air? Is it going to be like a wind thing? Is there going to be inflation involved? And, you know, when you finally see what it is, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. But there's there's certainly a lot of stuff in this you think, what the fuck is that? Which is quite a key part of what makes a Metroidvania tick. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the world of the game, Matthew. So... What I find really interesting about it is, as discussed, it doesn't really retain the same structure as the first game. It does give you freedom to navigate the different realms. And, like, I assume it reaches a point in the story where you can go back quite freely to all the different places you've been. And the presentation of these places is just astonishing, really. Like, you got, in the first game, you got, uh, like, you know, Midgard, the Dark Elf Realm, Alfheim. And then you got the fucking score attack realm as well. Uh, uh, was that, that Moosefulheim or something? There's the one with uh, the maze full of gas, and there's one which is just like a combat <laughs> arena. Yeah. Powerfully yeah, sorry. underwhelming. <laughs> you came to, yeah, came to the horde mode realm, so <laughs> tough break. Where's the unlockable art gallery realm? <laughs> <laughs> so this game, this game just really like gives you an overload of like Norse shit basically like some of the places it takes you without spoiling it just look better look nicer than you know just they just look so much so lavish you just see the money on the screen basically just really kind of wild feeling weird places and even when it does take you to places you've been before which this game does you know light spoilers there I suppose they do feel like noticeably different some of the some bits and pieces might remain in terms of like architecture but generally speaking they feel like totally different places and Mm. on that level i find it so so lavish um structurally though it's quite interesting because it kind of it kind of keeps you on a linear path it like basically drops you into a new corridor level quite on you know basically every chapter so you don't feel like you're getting lost um is that is that the kind of what you noted about the structure too matthew is there ever a point where it kind of opens up more noticeably not an open world but a kind of wide linear area so like if you played the first one you have the lake of the nine which is kind of like the big you know quote-unquote open world bit which is just a big lake that you can park up on limited jetties and then or beaches or whatever and get out of your boat and then there's you know quite a linear bit of of adventuring to be done there and a lot of the realms have their equivalent of that in this you know there'll be like you'll go to a realm for a story which is like a strictly linear path but then at the end of the story you know or halfway through that level you'll find an area where actually there is a lake or a big plane that you can ride like a sled around on because there's a lot of snow and sledding in this game i'd say rather than have like the one world which is constantly evolving so in the first game lake of the nine as the water levels in the lake change it's it's constantly like revealing more and more of of the surrounding land as the game progresses here every realm has an open world bit discovering the scale of those like you say is is pretty mind-blowing in terms of like how much stuff they made for this game because there's Mm. some where you go i can't believe this area had an open world or had a had a (laughs) large area and then you'll find a key and you'll realise that there's a door in that to an even bigger thing. And most of them have at least one truly worthwhile side quest that will transform it in some way. Like the big trick mm. this thing does is you do something and 
like the level will physically transform or there'll be like a huge creature will appear there's a lot of big creatures pop out of places in this game and then every time you come back you'll be like oh it's the big creature from that side quest you, you feel like you're making a change in that world it's it's the cliche of you can't really tell the difference between the main quest and the side quest um which i felt about the first game but this this trumps it in like every way in terms of ambition shit i better dig into some of the side stuff then for instead of rushing to the finish line now i failed to finish the game for this podcast i might as well take my fucking time might i last night i was like i feel like if i put in six hours i'll get this done and Catherine was away so i was like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna <laughs> want to get to the end of this game and see if it like actually lands the story even though i can't talk mm. about it for spoiler reasons i want to actually you know see where i stand with it but it it was showing it, it showed me like several things along that way where i was like oh, i should really go and do that like while i have the time um mm. it's got quite a nice trick where it actually hides how big a lot of the maps are on the map screen so you can look at an area and think you've seen it all and then realize oh actually this kind of flips in some interesting way or whatever it's a lot this game <laughs> it re- what it reminded me of actually the structure of it slightly was uncharted 4 like those kind of open worlds yeah where you know what i mean where like there are enemies out there and you can go and find them but there are also secrets to find um you know many secrets if you put in time if you want you can just race past them and continue with the story that's fine too but you will be rewarded for exploring except this takes that even further you know like the uh there are proper embedded reasons to stay there as opposed yeah. to you know a few cool easter eggs to go and find around the map you know i think it's maybe like a little bit closer to i mean it's basically the same thing but like the last of us part two mm. where because that had in its one openish area, which is that kind of over overgrown kind of city that you go to quite early on, that had like a few key story quests, but then it, I think it even marked them as side quests. Bigger buildings you could go into, which had their own kind of structure to, and maybe a boss at the end. There is there is more structure to it. And I would also say, the, tying into what I was saying about the combat, a lot of the side missions reward you with equipment that's not better, but maybe has a unique element to it that makes it the heart of an interesting build this isn't like a traditional loot game where the later thing you get is necessarily better you can mm. bring armor from the first mission I mean, honestly i think my armor set was armor that i unlocked at like hour 10 and then i brought with me for 20 hours just because i liked the particular boons it gave me pretty cool it's pretty cool that they've done that you know the way it sort of sits between rpg and metroidvania is quite unique and still quite specific to God of War. Like, I can't think of many other things which have that balance of permanent upgrades and the ability to slightly adjust yourself, you know, on a kind of more granular level. Yeah. All right. Well, I might I might slow down, take my time and figure out a build I like. Maybe that will help me, like, get my head around some of the <laughs> sponginess of the enemies a little bit. I feel, I feel uh, so bogus saying words like build. Come on. <laughs> it doesn't seem very it's you, not, I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, like... It's a poison build because it does a lot of poison and it hurts a lot of poison. And it's not sophisticated, you know, like I'm not <laughs> run, writing a fucking extra life or something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. OK, that's that's fair. I mean, I never never pegged you as that guy, but like that's that's uh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I will say, though, that um, generally speaking, so speaking of poison, whenever I get like an ailment that drains Kratos's health in this game, I'm like, what was the fucking point of that? Because... I can't, you know, this this was early in the game. You do get get the ability to heal eventually. I had no ability to heal. 
I just had a slow poison, very watching my health bar just go down, knowing <laughs> I was dead. It was like, why not just fucking kill me right now instead of making me wait like twenty seconds for the poison to kick in? Like, <laughs> I was doing that, and every now and then this game will think it's Ikaruga, and you'll just get an enemy who's absolutely spaffing purple shit at you, and you're like, what the fuck is gonna like that? That is those are the bits that frustrated me. I think was just being hit with like just like little additions to the combat that were designed to make you think differently about how to play, but maybe just didn't entirely fit with the close to Kratos nature of the combat system that I was so used to from the first game. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think they also pepper the world from early on with what is basically end game content. You don't necessarily think about this character and like characters do have a level next to them, but you don't tend to think about this character in terms of level like i don't think i you know i was ever like oh i'm currently a level six kratos and a good match for level <laughs> six enemies but yeah. you know there are rifts and there are these like gravestones that sort of summon this game's equivalent of the valkyries which were like the really tough end game content in 2018 you know this time summon bosses who you're meant to fight in 30 hours but they're there right and you know as you're going past them your stupid son's like hey why don't we check out that and you're like yeah all right my boy you know if you'd like you know it's like me asking my dad should we go into hmv and he's like yeah let's do it except in hmv it's not like a fucking viking who kills you with one hit you know that's that's the difference at least not in the winchester branch but winchester's a nice town so yeah you know nor bath either but you can't get a full metal alchemist on dvd for 25 quid which uh, you know <laughs> a good purchase according to matthew castle um so, so like that but like, i think that was true of the first game i'd just forgotten it like there's stuff in this that was handing me my ass and i was like is it cowardly to step away from this uh you know i just got over it <laughs> That was definitely in the first game. That's not the stuff I'm I'm like I'm not stumped by anything in the game. I right. just feel like I'm getting frustrated a bit too much in like progressing in the way I am. Like um there is that one there is like a, a sort of more foresty realm you go to. I don't think that's a spoiler. Um <laughs> and there is a big boss in that realm that was so processy in terms of how you beat it. You just had to do the same two or three things in exactly the same order and then it would kind of like go down. And that just, I felt so kind of like bummed out by that boss. Uh-huh. And I, I felt I didn't, bad because I, I bigged that boss up to you. I was like, <laughs> you, you were DMing me like, oh, I don't know about this. And I was like, stick with it because I think there's a boss which actually actually feels like classic God of War. And then you were like, <laughs> fuck that boss. Well, it's kind of like, oh yeah, you just got to fucking put these purple symbols on this thing and then do your thing. I didn't feel like that was like very clearly explained. And <laughs> I, it only took me four attempts, but I was still very frustrated at the end of it. And like, and I, I just... I don't know. I think I just don't. I just haven't particularly gelled with that amount of ranged combat stuff going on in it. That that, that it just hasn't entirely worked for me. Right. Um, but I'm also probably playing it too damn fast. This game probably isn't meant to be played oh. in like eight hour chunks of a Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Also, if you're not doing the side quests, like you're not getting the upgrade materials, and it all does add up. Come the actual end of it, I did the last run of bosses like without dying once. But not right, like right. I was pushed. I was like on the edge, and I felt quite exhilarated when I finished it. But I felt like I'd done enough of of, of the side missions that I was maybe slightly ahead of the difficulty curve. I think if you just did a pure story run through, this is a much harder game than if you do do all that side stuff. Like, and and I like that because I've, I you know my my big beef with Metroidvanias is when there's no reason to collect the side content because the difficulty matches you you know it's why i like metroid dread actually like 
every little extra bit of health or whatever, I felt like I all this is increasing my odds of surviving here. But I, there definitely comes a point where I feel like if it locks you into a big story mission, it, it kind of almost goes a bit gentler on you because it's like, well, you haven't got the option to improve, really. So, you know, I'm not going to lock you in any dead ends. You know, I fundamentally want you to finish thing, which is maybe why the last bosses weren't as difficult as I was, I was I was worried about. Well, that's a classic, like, you know, Breath of the Wild or something similar, right? If you've basically rinsed the open world, then that last boss... Oh, gee, um, yeah. Calamity Ganon's, like... Peter just fucking Pierce, bomb like, arrowed that guy. <laughs> I just had, like, 100 bomb arrows. Just, like, murdered yeah. him instantly. And you're like, well, that was that, was that then. <laughs> that's, I guess that's the end of the best game I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's a proper, like, it's about the journey, not the destination yeah. game, isn't it? Um, yeah, so just to be very clear about this game, I think it is very, very good. And I really like it. The, my issues with it are just those minor combat things I'm talking about. Amount of ranged attacks, AoE attacks. Maybe I'll feel differently if I churn through some of the side content i feel like i've i've crafted my kratos a build as matthew keeps saying uh with with massive amounts of authority um and also uh, yeah the, and the pacing issues as well to the narrative that is like a that is a that's probably my most my biggest gripe my, like a major gripe i would say like um just that maybe a tiny bit of the mysterious element of the original game is lost a little bit just through every single character being some guy you meet and then he comes and lives at your house and then joins your <laughs> yeah. little army and that feels a bit that that's actually where i sort of saw what maybe polygon were alluding to with their mcu comparison i kind of saw it a little bit in this um right like the maybe the style of storytelling and everyone's got their little moment kind of thing like that that maybe resembles modern pop culture a bit more than maybe the first game did um yeah. yeah, go yeah, on, go f- jump from there, Matthew. Yeah, I th- I think there are some like exceptions along the way. I think there are some there are some encounters where you meet something spectacular for a very limited amount of time, which feels a little bit more like old God of War, where someone turns up, maybe has like five lines, and then does something kind of you know galaxy changing, and you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. I'm glad, like you know that that was a lot of resources for a character who is in this for two minutes. <laughs> um, which this game doesn't do enough, you know. It feels like it, you know, like we say, it really, really wants you to kind of get to know everyone. But e- even in the main cast, I think there are a couple of like triumphs in there. Yeah. Um, there is one like just proper asshole who you kind of meet who you don't really get to know any better and remains an asshole throughout. Um, played by the guy who played Jason in Friday Night Lights. He's a really like shitty hissable villain who you like i really look forward to killing this guy and he was most like an old god of war character yes like someone who turns up and is just a huge prick and they're all voiced by americans but i love that it's just like i'm this norse figure but i'm also hugely american that is like very god of war to me these are all people who live in la who could just go to their motion capture studio basically yeah And I, 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 but you know, a really, really good cast of people for sure. Yeah, that is a great asshole character. That is the good thing, actually, is that like, I think as you get deeper into the game and some more of the Asgard characters kind of come into it, you do get a bit closer to that feel of like there are actually like there's a there's a cavalcade of bastards to kind of get through here. You know, I wish they hadn't held them off for as long as they do. I think some of it's because the the end of God of War twenty eighteen. You know, it's this like epic boss fight, but it's also 
this like weird character piece where this kind of tangle of four characters is playing out and like all the drama of their stories in there and it's really really effective you know you're fighting this and you know what you've got to do to survive but you're also questioning the whole time who is the real villain in this particular situation um here they're just trying to do that with like 12 people which is why it becomes quite quite unwieldy but there are moments where you're like certain character dynamics are pulled out and there are some very very cool sort of cinematic moments there are some great entrances some great exits um particularly in the final run where you're like oh yeah this is more like it um i think it ends super strong just on the character note uh i, I actually really rated the two dwarves in this one who are in the first oh, game yeah, they're great oh i love them in the first game too but they're great here too. Uh, yeah i did like them they were sort of comedy sort of shopkeepers in that game in here they have their own story and it's one of the more effective stories in it their relationship's quite interesting. Some of the secrets they're keeping from each other are quite interesting. One of them is 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 very like bullish and unpleasant. And there's this sudden moment of like absolute sincerity with that involves him. That always gets me. Like when someone is suddenly like very open and honest, rather than this sort of like more sophisticated, slow burning kind of dawning of realization that you get with kind of Kratos and Atreus and many of the other characters. Yeah, they're just so beautifully acted and you know really well written for like the vast majority of it. Um, mm. It's just yeah, I just I just it's just so much of it, just so many characters, <laughs> so much to get through. So that's interesting. Here's a question for you. So. I really love Kratos in this. I think Kratos is an absolute all-timer kind of video game character in terms of like, you know, his sort of roots as like the ultimate bastard. Mm. And then how he's developed in 2018. It just so It's just such a good use of like, you know, a great bit of sort of 3D games era iconography, you know, to convert that into like a, a, a great character with a, you know, carries like a heavy burden with him. Um, and I think he's really well developed here. Um, this game asks a lot of his son, Atreus, to carry the story, like mm. quite a lot. And I don't know if that character, from what I've played so far, is up to it. Um, yeah. but I'm curious to know what you make of that. You know, Kratos's character in this is all about like wrestling with his past. There's a lot of this game is about godhood and what it is to be a god and what it is to be someone who's like defining characteristic is he's really good at killing gods like what happens when that person meets other gods what happens when a god of war from one mythology meet you know potentially meets a god of war from another mythology you know there's there's a lot of interesting stuff about that really relates to kratos in this story atreus you know what what defines his story is something that is potentially going to happen in the future it's nothing to do with his past it's nothing he has no reputation like we, we don't really have any stakes in this this kid at all um mm. so it's just just a lot less to work with i think and they spend a lot of time with him the, the reason they spend time with him is they actually don't want to spend time with him at all they want to spend time with the characters he spends time with right kratos due to the nature of what the story is can't hang out with some characters in this game because they're enemies where i think atris can sort of like tread you know cross that line a bit more yeah that's definitely true there's like a yeah like a plot device element to him like of stitching things together um yeah i I do think that 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 only half works in places um compared to just playing as kratos and enjoying kratos's interactions with other characters the other thing is that i actually really enjoyed the idea of atreus as a kind of supporting character in the first game like that whole stretch where he becomes incredibly unpleasant and arrogant um it's like just is great real kid stuff 
as well as being like just really that kind of seeing his kind of cruel side is just really effective in the moment. I really love that about the 2018 game. Mm. Um, and here, I don't know, like for what I played so far, he's a bit, bit more smug. Um, I don't know. He's a tougher. He's a. I don't say tougher hang because he was never really a good hang. It's not quite the dynamic of the game, but it's like, it's just yeah. It's it's a tall order for a character of this age and type. Yeah. And the amount of story that orbits him, it's just a. It's just a big ask of that actor and that character. Yeah. Weirdly, younger children, while on paper sort of sim- simpler beings than adults with all their complicated business, like they have the greater capacity to like swing wildly between extremes which mm. makes younger atreus more interesting than teen atreus he, he's like generally meaner but it, it never kind of goes as far as maybe the first game the first game has the kind of sheer kind of unfettered madness of what a child can be <laughs> yeah yeah and it's really really good at it like it's i've not seen that in another game before do you know what i mean mm. um Whereas I think what you see of Atreus here, I feel like I have seen that in other games before, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. Uh, right, some some smaller bits then, Matthew. So um, did you like the reference to uh, God of War Ghost of Sparta uh, to the brother? Did you like that reference? I genuinely like that this game has a much closer relationship with the entire series than I felt the first one did. Yeah. Like, he, he brings up a lot of, like... Yeah, I'm mainly Deimos, but there's, there's, there's a lot of, like, anecdotal stuff which refers to events in the earlier games there's there's a lot of this game is about fate and so he can talk a lot about his interactions with the fates in like god of war 2 having just replayed all of them for that podcast this this felt more god of war than 2018 did in the traditional god of war sense yeah i think as well like i like that when you you hear kratos talk about the idea of what what a you know a spartan has to go through to become a spartan essentially i get that broader sense of how Corey Barlog holistically looks at the character and the mythos of God of War, you know, like mm. that, which feels very much like it drives the Kratos characterization. Obviously, a team of hundreds makes the actual game. Yeah. But I'm talking about that very basic understanding of who Kratos is and and how that permeates the entire game. I feel like you know we talked about it on that podcast, but Corey Barlog, there's a reason he's the guy making these games, right? It's it's you know it, it's you know he's as much a, the character's creator as David Jaffe was, for example. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he just I, I just really love hearing that stuff because it tells me more about also how it's you know the, someone who's been working on these games for fifteen years sees the character um, and what they think is important for me to learn about them. So I really I really enjoyed that about some of those extra references. Did, did you uh, have, did you either hear or have you heard about the PlayStation All Stars thing? No. So <laughs> one of the one of the bits of side banter you can have with. Mimir, and I didn't hear this in my go, I don't know what triggers it, is uh, Kratos is talking about his past and he alludes what? to have being in PlayStation also because he says, <laughs> I once took part in a, in a battle tournament with the greatest heroes from many realms. And then he <laughs> describes the characters in playstation all-stars in in kind of kratos speak so like he refer, right. like he refers to parappa the rapper as like the greatest bard who ever lived <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible um that that does ta- that does make sense i guess because uh they did that's a sony santa monica game playstation yeah. all-stars so yeah so some of the people there probably worked on it but uh, that's really good yeah well done, everyone. apparently that that's... was written by um uh anthony birch from the the wrote some of the borderlands games 
I saw something on Twitter where he was like, oh, wow, I can't believe they kept that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I literally wrote that as a piss take. Uh, That's awesome, though. Well done. <laughs> That's like, I love that. It's like, oh, yeah, every, literally everything that Kratos has been in, we have to, like, cop to. It's like his personal history <laughs> yeah. he's carrying around with him. <laughs> I really love that. So, Matthew, here's the other question. So you finished it. Um, I really something I really wanted to do after we did our God of War ranking was to come back and say where does this sit in that ranking? You have you are the only one out of the two of us who has finished every single game in this series. Where does this rank for you versus the other the other games in that list? So at the top of the list we had 2018. I still mm. think that's the I still think that's the more coherent game. This is maybe like technically bigger and better in every way but it's just so much baggier compared to 2018 i'd actually be tempted to put it just to put it below god of war 3 and above god of war 2 uh, god, yeah yeah I, I still think i still think god of war 3 for all its problems has just this drive to it that i think this could have had like i i think the best god of war ever ever is in this game but it it's just it's just surrounded with a lot of fat a lot of flab like I, I you know i know you you struggled with that that you didn't like that boss fight as much as i did that we were alluding to earlier but this game has a much better balance of human sized bosses to like big bosses there are some spectacular uh takedowns in this which are just pure like absolutely 100% what i want from god of war it's more violent it's definitely the combat's a lot bloodier than than one like there's a lot of like limb chopping and cleaving and blood and gore everywhere. Like it, it has a bit more of the obnoxious energy of old God of War, which which I like. But it's tough because I've seen some people who are like, this is just an all timer, ten out of ten PlayStation mm. classic. And like I get it, you know, its highs are so good, and maybe you like the kind of Sony character beat mechanic more than I do. If I had like. If I had two weeks to play this and then like I was playing like three, two to three hours a day, like I might feel a bit differently about it, you know? Yeah, um, but I was playing it as I would have, like I bought it. I was looking forward to it. This is a game, you know, okay, we're doing it for this podcast, but like I would have bought it anyway. I was really looking forward to it. Like I didn't buy many games this year. This is one I was like, I liked the first game. I want to see what where the story goes. Like I want to mm. see how it ends, you know, and, and this definitely has that pull. You will want to see how it ends. Um, yeah. so it works on that level but I just there's just so much plodding shit in it which I don't maybe I don't know maybe maybe if you if you write your review just after you finished it it ends so strong that you'd be like fuck me that was so exciting but uh, yeah. I was like cursing so many stretches of this game for being slow and boring <laughs> yeah the speed bumps are just really noticeable in it yeah um, really really noticeable and yeah I think like you, I'm just no more Pat the Ox for me in video games. Oh. I'm just done. I'm done with that stuff. Oh, now. this game's worse because it's Ride the Ox for like 20 minutes and <laughs> yeah. 90 minutes of ox patting. Like, if you want to press forward while a very slow ox walks through, you know, <laughs> fight like I wouldn't say cutting edge water, like the water looked oh. fine. Cutting edge water. Now you're fucking reviewing water. Like, well, I, become... it is, I, like you know, we're not digital foundry as we, we always <laughs> say, but I, I will say, like. This, this to me, often looked like an amazing PS4 game. That is completely fair. Like in, in a, it feels like it's built firmly for with the same limitations as yeah. uh, as the 2018 one was because it is right. It's it's also on PS4 and like 
every time you lifts a rock and you crawl under it or yeah you know climb through a gap in the cliff i didn't even notice that many like gaps in cliffs you were going through in the first one but here yeah. i just seem to notice it a lot more part of me respects the desire for them to like make a really great farewell game to ps4 and by all accounts this plays really well on ps4 you know it plays as well as god of war 2018 did you know and it is much more ambitious in terms of like scale and scope and the size of some of the set pieces i was a bit more aware of non-interactive cutscenes in this one than i was the first like i think there's a few more bits where you're like wow this unbroken camera is amazing and then you're like well it's just a cutscene. you know i'm not actually doing anything so it's not impossible that this would happen in a in a metal gear cutscene. that that illusion is is definitely less impressive second time around yeah so every kind of like face i saw in this i was just like oh wow they're just the unbelievable amount of attention to detail is in this is incredible um i can't honestly say that i'm like I was massively jonesing to see what a PS5 version would look like. I don't think it'd be vastly different. I just think some of those gaps between environments would just be seamless. But otherwise, I don't think the game would change massively. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't bother me too much. No, I no. suppose, like... No, no, it's, that, that was fine. That's like yeah, that's definitely like low down on the list of gripes. I'll tell you what is <laughs> higher up on the list of gripes. Yeah. Is people fucking talking to you right. about what to do every three minutes. Now... This has been just like discussed already, but basically your companion characters in the game are always weighing in to be like, you should try doing this over there. You should try doing that over there. And like every time Atreus was telling me how to like, you know, solve a water wheel puzzle or something, <laughs> I was just there thinking, my boy, I killed every god on fucking Mount Olympus. Why don't you <laughs> shut up while I figure out this fucking water wheel? And like that, that like that, it's so persistent in this game. It actually started to like, I think, rub some of the hard edges off Kratos for me because I was there thinking, "There's no way Kratos would let people talk to him like this." But also, I think it just it became it becomes borderline intrusive. There are some like extended periods of the game where I don't think you notice it at all. But then, just like companion characters talking down to Kratos to give you very obvious puzzle clues, that bothered me throughout, and you can't switch it off. Thoughts, Matthew? I definitely felt it in the early parts of the game. I do think it it goes away or i just didn't notice it like from about act two onwards people people stop talking and it gives you a bit more space and it's interesting because it gives you a bit more space when you start getting new powers so all of a sudden it's less handholdy and you are doing something new so it's kind of a double whammy and actually some of the puzzles i thought were pretty satisfying like i i, I quite liked uh, there's a, like an ability that hinges around sort of setting up chains of like elemental chain attack type things which i thought it used in some in some fun ways in places um definitely in that early stretch i was feeling the same thing it's quite interesting though that there was that when this very first came out which let's remember was only like two weeks ago or whatever there was quite a lot of noise about there was a mode you could use to make the puzzles go to to, that people thought dialed back the the puzzle banter uh, but it didn't at all. Sony Santa Monica came up and said, actually, no, that, that, that option doesn't affect the banter at all, which maybe made me reassess, like, how, how intrusive is this? If you don't, if, you know, if you can, if you think there's less, but there's not actually less, does that mean it was ever really a problem? I, I, know, I do know what you mean in terms of, from a character perspective, it, it doesn't really gel. Um, I think from a mechanical perspective, it sort of makes sense in that characters talk to you 
so much in this game. Like you're basically always in a conversation, you know, unless you're fighting. That it would be weird if there were stretches of the game where no one said anything. And so they have to say something. And so what would they probably say in that situation? Like, well, why don't we try that switch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just that sometimes that stuff is a bit too... Just it's just a just quite patronising in how it's written. Yeah, um, and so, and comes across as patronising to a player. I think maybe like I'm just more sensitive to it as someone who's played games for so long and has finished every game in this series. Yeah, and like yeah, it just and it happens enough that it becomes incongruous. I and think, and you know? especially as you've just come from 2018, where like mm. you've got your head around how this game world sort of works, uh, and yeah. you don't need someone saying it to you all over again. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's just, it's interesting that that has been the conversation. I remember when 2018 came out, it felt there was just a lot more excitement for it. People have loved this game, and I know that. But I felt like everyone was obsessed with, like, how the axe worked, and there were blogs about how the axe worked, and everyone was like, wow, they've really, like, come up with something new here. Like, there was there was something kind of genuinely, like, fresh and innovative that people were reacting to. And I don't see that conversation happening around Ragnarok in the same way. Oh. But we have to be completely fair. It's okay for them to like do a better version of the same thing. One, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm sure you agree. Funnily enough, most of the problems I have with Ragnarok are exactly the same problems I had with The Last of Us Part Two. I think they are very similar sequels in terms mm. of what they choose to grow and where they choose to put their resources. I think they've both got a problem with wanting to spend time with everyone. They want to like show respect to every single character. Every single character gets their moment in the spotlight. They want everyone to be real and, and fully fleshed out. And that has a huge problem on pacing. Last of Us Part Two has the wildest act structure. I mean, what the fuck are the first, second and acts in that game? God knows, you know, how you'd actually like point them out. This feels like it's playing with the, you know, from the same kind of playbook. Yeah, it's like it even got the like, without spoiling it, like to show you both sides of it a little bit. Yeah, you know, and like even that it shares with The Last of Us too. Um, I know everyone thinks it's more sophisticated storytelling to show how everyone is a bit more real and a bit more complex, but it is okay to just have fun with archetypes and have a bit more momentum you know like not everything yeah. has to be shades of gray you know this happened in television and suddenly everyone was like oh, well you know everything has to be a lot more real and it killed off like a i would say it killed off a lot of like fun and you know after the kind of rise of like your sopranos and the wire and deadwood and what people were really into suddenly seemed to be less buzz around things like buffy or whatever that seemed like old tv making and yeah it feels like that's sort of happening in games as well. Like, it's okay. Like, and we said this on the other God of War episode, it's okay to make a game about a fucking maniac who chops up gods for 10 hours. <laughs> like, yeah, it's okay to turn Hercules' head into mints. That's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's fine. Um, also, like, I think maybe we'll reach a tipping point on this as well, where, you know, like in TV, like The Mandalorian feels like a kind of a riposte to... Right. the rise of the prestige tv show do you know what i mean yeah. like it's it's simple you know hercules slash xena style storytelling and it's immensely enjoyable and dialed back and very archetypal in terms of the different characters so i could see that happening eventually but i do agree with you like this i don't need it for all these characters i'm actually fine just thinking okay there's thor and odin they are bastards 
let's go fucking kill them like that's that's okay with me that's okay by me for this game you know <laughs> right um yeah okay interesting so yeah we got it you got it a third i, I agree with I, I would say from what i've played so far it firmly feels like it's going just after god of war 3 for me i just uh mm. um but as established in that episode we both got a lot of love for that that was actually quite that was reasonably close to the clash between God of War three and twenty eighteen. Um, yeah, was, I mean, they're just they're just yeah. very different eras of games at war with each other. And yeah, but that is what the twenty eighteen and new God of War is about. You know, it's about a character wrestling. You know, with a being from a different time in a different place uh, where you could be a being bit from more PlayStation All Stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, like yeah, and it is fun. It is fun. It's just it's just a lot. Okay, I think we're about done, Matthew. One last question then. Um, do you think there's enough mileage for another one of these games? No, I think they should. I think they should reinvent it again. Um, I've had a huge amount of fun playing two of these games. I feel like I've seen this combat system kind of fully now, and I thought it was really exciting how they transformed it once. Like, I think this is a team with great imagination and great mechanical vision to make new things happen. And mm. I would love him to go to another realm. That isn't a spoiler. There's nothing. I like. I would say, from what I've played of the ending of this game, there is nothing pointing me in in a direction of a new franchise direction. But yeah, like, let's go to Egypt. Let's let's kill the death gods of Egypt uh, <laughs> in something entirely new. Let's do it. Yeah, just like fucking battering Anubis with a giant catapult oh, or something. Just... You know that would be rad <laughs> as hell. Yeah, it, it would. But are you almost like? I do also think, when was the last time Sony Santa Monica got to make something that wasn't a God of War game? I suppose it was PlayStation All-Stars and there. Yeah. You'll find their name variously on things like Flower and um, uh, like Unfinished Swan and stuff. Like they get, but like I would, I don't know, you, you kind of like you say the imagination on show. I would like to just see it on something that's not God of War. Yeah, time. that's, yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't even think of that actually. <laughs> well, what, what, whatever that is, it's like five years away anyway, right? Like it's, we're a long way away from that. But yeah, that's how I feel. It's just like, I just play this game constantly thinking, okay, these are like some of the best artists in the world right now making this shit. Like it yeah. looks incredible, looks and feels incredible. And I'm really like, appreciate the the level of craft that goes into this. Like you say, too much craft, um, <laughs> perhaps. Um, but yeah, like uh, I, I, I would say just from this, I already feel like this is, I'm firmly in the second half of my enjoyment of this particular formula um and i'm ready to move on um do you like uh richard schiff as in this as well matthew should ask about that as well very american gods which i re- I, I like that then yeah they're not trying to kind of play up to what your idea of these gods are actually like they're you know they're just sort of um you know he's quite kind of weasley and unknowable he's quite an unusual presence when he turns up like the opening to this game that interaction where where like the antagonist just turn up and hang out with you you know, it's you're like, oh, this is a bit different. This is exciting because you know you haven't had any of that in the first game, and then it's like, well, here are all the gods at once, and that's that's exciting. I actually thought Thor was voiced by Josh Brolin. He isn't, but he really sounds like Thanos. Yeah, he's sort of like, yeah, that's a that's really good casting. So the casting across the board is really good. Actually, I was like looking through the cast list and just being like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. They got this basically like a TV show cast to, to bring this to life. Yeah, yeah, I, I too like the... I, it also made me think like how vanilla like the MCU version of these gods are by comparison, like how much I fucking hate some of those interpretations. Everyone's just so much spikier and weirder yeah. in this universe, and I really dig that, you know? 
the gods design, the visual design on them is is great. Like they're just slightly mm. bigger than everyone, so they're quite unusual. They're there. They're an odd bunch. Even the smaller ones leave leave quite impact. I, I like the gods. I'm, I'm just uh, I'm surprised they sort of hold them back as long as they do. Really, it makes you finish a whole other game basically, and yeah. then then the other game begins. <laughs> yeah, well that's that's what I mean. It is two games in one. Like the second uh, the second half of this game is an entirely self contained story basically. Um, yeah. So you know. But, you know, we get them all at once. We only have to pay 60 quid once, so you can't... You can't well, you didn't have to pay 60 quid at all. So you don't, uh, have to, yeah, you don't really have to complain. I love that... Um, <laughs> I bet they're like, why did we give this fucker a free code? <laughs> you just moaned oh, about the fucking AOE attacks. <laughs> uh, I like bits about it as well. Uh, no, uh, I know, I'm only joking. It's tough. I got, this is probably why I should just stick to like buying my own games instead of like getting into these weird situations where I feel like I have to... like. I'm basically a bastard, then at the end I'm like... Sorry, it's just <laughs> yeah. those two, those things maybe sit awkwardly next to each other. Um, but it's important for the listeners to know that I'm on the take, Matthew. That my opinions can no longer be trusted. It's good to get that out there. I find. Yeah. Um, Do you think this is going to trouble your game of the year list? I think I've got to finish it, and then I'll know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think by default it'll be. I think it's like I think I've still played fewer than ten games this year. Oh Matthew, wow! As we get. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think maybe I think I played slightly more actually. If you count all the stuff I've played for ten minutes on Game Pass and decided, ah, that's all right, but won't go on the Game of the Year list, and then binned off immediately, which is I think something you've been doing too, right? Is there even a ten this year for me? I don't know if I've played an absolute outright. I love it, ten out of ten. There's definitely a couple of nines which are easily on the list, but there are so many eights, and I don't know yeah. like where the, wh- how to deal with that. I would say Ragnarok is one of those eights for me. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing. I was there playing it thinking, this probably can't go top five for me. I just don't love it. I don't viscerally love it enough. You know yeah, what I mean? From, like your, it's... from your DMs, it didn't sound like a top five game. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just like in a foul mood because I just had a really busy week and then I was going to another busy week and I thought, and I just played Cy- Chained, Cyberpunk and God of War 2018 and the entire God of War series. And I probably just needed to <laughs> slow down a bit. And you're watching um, all the bonds. <laughs> I'm watching like fucking shit. I'm dual weed wielding shit Roger Moore James Bond films and this game. And one's probably making me angry at the other. Oh. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a game I want to see. Kratos has to kill all the Bonds. Yeah, like 007 Legends, but he turns up out of like a fucking portal and then beats them, beats them to death. Yeah, kills all the Bonds. Q he can kill. M. <laughs> Probably some money pennies because he's politically incorrect. <laughs> Kratos again. And Q, Q, he kills with his own uh, toys as well. Like he's just a, po- pops the exploding pen in his pocket and then just fucking kicks him and he blows up or something. <laughs> um, or just like uh, that, that that cast in Goldeneye with the rocket that fires out of it. He puts that straps that on and shoots Q with it. That could be good. Um, going down a whole other route there. I, so yeah, I'd yeah. Play that game. <laughs> yeah so now the pressure is on Matthew to assemble 10 games that can go in that list it's actually like this is going to be the hardest year for this ever I would say mm. um, or at least the hardest year for us to date um, I think that games that might have previously been an honourable mention in like other years will probably creep into the top 10 this year just because out of a sea of eights it's about picking the ones that just you just you just loved you found yourself loving um, yeah yeah tricky tricky but that's not to yeah that's not to be ungrateful for this immensely yeah packed thing that like we complained all year about the lack of blockbusters got one and then complained it's got too much blockbuster (laughs) and like that's a good problem to have god i hope we're not growing out of triple a no i don't think so uh maybe triple that would be that would be that would be a disaster 
I don't think so. I just think that maybe like the um, uh, some of the bits and pieces of AAA I, I find myself butting up against. That's what I thought. I thought with the uh, people telling me what to do thing, I was I felt like a hand at work being like, we can't let the player miss a single thing here. Um, and I get it in in some ways. Some ways it's about accessibility. By the way, my eyesight is fucked, so the fact that you can put giant text on in this and the accessibility options massively appreciated that's the kind of accessibility get i like glasses. Uh, well yeah, yeah instead of accessibility modes i just need a pair of glasses because the that's world fine. doesn't have accessibility modes uh, no that's true do you um, squint at train but, signs on platforms there's a lot of like people i think are toddlers and they turn into old ladies <laughs> like, <when they> get... <laughs> but toddlers are tiny <laughs> yeah but so awesome old ladies are also they're tiny not, like, you're like two foot tall <laughs> no, but you get like a four foot like 11 a four woman foot and toddler. It's, like... <laughs> maybe not a toddler maybe like a 10 year old or something you know (laughs) you've got a specificity of language it's important yeah no it's true especially on a podcast that's all you got isn't it um yeah (laughs) you know it's like what those 13 year old toddlers called teenagers (laughs) do you think atrius is a toddler we have to go back to recording these on weekends man i'm doing them on like weeknights and it's just fucking my brain is like scrambled eggs and i'm just like I'm just like, you can hear me struggling to get to the end. Um, we have to go back to the... We got Bond on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bit just got to crush ten oof. more of those films. <laughs> yeah. Just got to crush ten more fucking two-star films before we can do that one. Uh, yeah, good. Excited about my Die Another Day rewatch. Jesus Christ. things The things I do for 800 quid a month, Matthew. Um, okay, good. Well, that was a fun podcast. I enjoyed that. Bit of a strange ending there. Uh, yeah, we do very much enjoy that. We don't. We both recommend this game still. Yeah. Um. We, we what we listed was basically all our caveats from a game that we otherwise very much enjoyed. So, um, as we as we make or break the success of this game, Matthew, it's important to point that out. I find. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are done, Matthew. Where can people find you on um failing doomed social media platforms? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Battle underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. The podcast is Backpage Pod on uh, Twitter. If you would like to uh, join our Discord because you're worried that, you know, Twitter's going down, maybe you want to keep touch with the podcast, if you just go onto the Twitter page, you'll see a Discord link you can join where uh, I think 580 plus people are are in there. Very nice community. No bastards. If there are bastards, they'll fucking ban their asses. So don't worry about that. Um, and yes, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, get that PC Gaming Classics miniseries we were discussing earlier. Uh, that's patreon.com slash backpage pod we really appreciate your support and you can email us as well i should say that that we've got an email for like longer correspondence when you don't want the scrutiny of the discord um dropping emojis on your questions backpagegames at gmail.com that's everything matthew uh see you soon goodbye goodbye